This is a special music and cancer episode of Sound and Vision. I'm Emily Fox. Here at KEXP, we hold these Music Heals Days. We have one about mental health, another one on addiction, another one on death. And this past week, we had a Music Heals Day about cancer. So all day, we get emails from listeners who tell their stories of how cancer impacted them or a loved one and how a song touched them or moved them during or after a struggle with cancer. And we read these stories on air and we play their songs. So today, we're going to hear some of those listeners' stories later in the podcast. We'll also hear from KEXP midday show DJ Cheryl Waters. She just returned to our airwaves in recent weeks after getting surgery and treatment for tongue cancer. The support of the KEXP family of, of listeners and is really extraordinary, and that has really helped me. We'll also hear how musician and former radio station program director used music to help him through his battle with cancer. At the beginning of the journey, everyone's encouraging you to, you know, kick cancer's ass and you're, you're battling cancer and it's all about the fight. But to be honest, to get up every day to prepare for battle is, is exhausting. But first we hear from Phil Elvram. Today I just felt it for the first time. Three months and one day after you died. Phil Elvrum has used music to share his story of grief after losing his wife of 13 years to cancer. Elvrum is an indie musician from Anacortes, Washington, who performs under the name Mount Erie. He also runs his own record label. His wife, Genevieve Castre, was diagnosed with inoperable pancreatic cancer four months after giving birth to their first child. She passed away the following year, and that was in 2016. Elvrum joins me now to talk about his family journey and how he told that story in his music. Hello, Phil. Hello. So Genevieve Castre was a musician, a cartoonist, an illustrator. Can you describe who she was as an artist for those that might not be familiar with her work? She, yeah, she, she was kind of an alien, she, self-described alien, hard to describe. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, she was all those things. She was a young punk from the suburbs of Montreal. Yeah, she got into cartooning very early and just was sort of savant at it and made these weird little zines. And then I met her when she lived in Victoria and I lived in Anacortes and we came together very quickly. And, you know, we lived together for 13 years and she also made music and we would tour together. Although mostly she was, I say she's an alien because she did all of her work in French she really identified with being French-Canadian, even though she lived in this part of the world that is not very French-speaking, historically or currently. And um, she just, w- yeah, I would go on tour with her, and she would sing these songs in French to people that didn't understand what she was saying. She would publish these comics in French and <laughs> give them to people that couldn't read them. But they were so beautiful, and the music as well, that something transcended. Is there a song of hers um, that we can play that, that you particularly really, really like? I mean, yeah, I, I like them all a lot, but um, the one that I always have stuck in my head is called um, Un peu comme d'Arsou, which is uh, from a record she made with the Watery Graves of Portland. Yeah, it's just like little ditty, catchy, catchy little ditty. Uh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Sa 
Geneviève Castre had a big impact on the arts community around her. You know, you you were based in Anacortes for a while. Um, you know, an artist, Black Belt Eagle Scout, who we've had on KEXP, also kind of grew up around Anacortes and said that, you know, Geneviève was a mentor to her um, and actually inspired part of Black Belt Eagle Scout's um, most recent full-length album. And I just want to play a clip of what um, Black Belt Eagle Scout said about that uh, in a KEXP in-studio performance. Tell me about this record, your record. Can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind it? It was during a rough time in my life, as you know, a lot of people go through those times. Um, A lot of sadness, a lot of grief. People, like one one of my um, mentors had passed away, had died. And then this relationship that I was in was kind of not in a good space. So I was was just feeling like really, really sad. And I decided to take to my guitar to to write songs, to like get it out, you know? I think that... for me, like when I play music and especially if I'm trying to get through something in my life, I, I, I will just sit down and I'll play guitar. So you also wrote an album following um, the death of your wife, uh, Geneviève Castre, and the album was called A Crow Looked At Me. And throughout the album, you're kind of ticking down the time um, since your wife's death. You hear it in the song Ravens. It's August 12, 2016. For one month and three days Toothbrush slash trash Three months and one day after you died And chasm I live with your absence And it's been two months since you died What was it like to process her death through music for you personally? Yeah, what was that like? It felt like an automatic process it felt like something that was just coming out of me. Um, I, like I had no choice in the matter. It was just... In fact, it felt perverse to be doing it in a lot of ways because it felt small. You know, write, writing my songs felt small in the face of the realities of what was actually happening around me. But it also, in hindsight, I know that it was therapeutic and it was my way of just habitually uh, refining this chaotic real lived experience into something that resembled meaning even yeah I was creating meaning for myself out of this mess of life and um but yeah no it wasn't that wasn't the intention it was merely just trying to get whatever this chatter in my mind was out of my mind onto paper and hone it into something that might make more sense or be useful in a way it was your way of kind of processing the grief though it sounds like yeah it was, but it wasn't like I sat down and was like, I'm going to process my grief now. Here's mm-hmm. my guitar, here's my pencil. It was more just like I was mumbling to myself all the time from when I woke up to when I went to sleep all day for like a year, and this is what came out. I'm speaking with Phil Elvram, a musician who goes by the name Mount Erie, about how he processed his wife's death from cancer with music. So the first line in your album, A Crow Looked At Me, you open it with the lines, Death is real. Someone's there and then they're not And it's not for singing about It's not for making into art You know, yet you still kind of made art. You know, through this death, you made this album. And this album also got a lot of press. I mean, it was covered by NPR, Pitchfork, The New Yorker, New York Times, and many more outlets. What was that like to realize, too, that you were almost getting national press for just this really intimate, you know, grieving moment? 
It was super weird. Uh, yeah, it was super weird, but also not, I guess, not that surprising because I knew that, I knew that the story of our circumstances was, this is going to sound crass, but I knew that there was like a salaciousness to it. It was like, it popped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's got that, like, it's easy to communicate the heaviness of it in like one press line. And so that sounds really dark and, and nihilistic about the way that culture works, but it, I experienced it and it is true. It almost felt like I was at the shows I played of these songs too. I felt like I was doing this perverse thing of going on stage to reenact this traumatic event that I had experienced for people to gawk at. And I don't say that like I'm blaming anyone because I'm, I know that there's like a lot of positive healing and, and coming together that happens through that and that it was necessary and good and healing. But also there's this element of, um, I don't know, impropriety that I think we all probably felt and powered through. So it was weird that it was as successful as it was. And also I was, I just went with it because I knew it was positive for me and everyone else too. Yeah, because a year after you dropped this album, A Crow Looked at Me, you put out another album called Now Only. And the title track on that record talks about you getting invited, you know, flown out to play these festivals and you play these songs about death in front of people, you know, all these like festival goers that are on drugs and that feels a little weird. And let's just bring up a clip of that song here. I made these songs and then the next thing I knew I was standing in the dirt under the desert sky at night. Outside Phoenix at a music festival that had paid to fly me in to play these death songs to a bunch of young people on drugs. It seems like, you know, you're still kind of processing this weirdness, you know, at these festivals. And then the song goes on and it almost seems like you're starting to feel numb by playing these songs in front of these audiences. As my grief becomes calcified, frozen in stories and in songs I keep singing numbing it down the unsingable real memories of you after a while you know starting to play these festivals and bigger crowds what did that feel like to just be playing these songs over and over again was it helpful or was it numbing I no I have never felt numbed about the actual grief the numbing I talk about in that song is more just the feeling that happens with any song that I've written and the the raw moment of creation when the, you first write the song and then you sing it 20 times or 100 times and you stop emoting that exact thing each time you sing it. But no, in terms of the actual experience of grief and memory of, of Shenviev, that hasn't it hasn't been numbed down. And playing these songs, I had to stop. You know, I'm, I'm done playing those songs. I just... Um, I don't want to stay in that state anymore. It was weird to to get flown to play in front of different crowds. And, and so I wrote those songs and I spelled out that experience because I wanted to create a more complete picture of the truth and of reality. And as grief evolves and as time passes, it just gets more complex and more layers on top of it. And it's all part of it and it's all real. So... Yeah, I felt like it was necessary to say you're in a hospital and you're like weeping and then next thing you know, Skrillex is there. (laughs) And that's also 
part of the experience. It's nothing is sacred. That's so strange. I mean, yeah, the idea of like, you know, getting recognition from something that is so sad to you. Um, you know, and then, you know, time goes on. Um, and I feel like I, I should also mention, you know, in 2018, there was news that, that you had remarried to someone who had also faced the loss of a spouse. Um, it was actress Michelle Williams, whose late husband, Heath Ledger, you know, that was her late husband. You moved to New York for a time. Your marriage ultimately lasted about less than a year. And I'm not looking to recount, you know, gossip columns here, but just this idea that, that you meet someone and you have this mutual experience of loss, specifically a loss of a spouse. Is mm-hmm. that what connected you two uh, in the first place? That was part of it, yeah. That was no. That was part of how we came together. And it was it, you know, this idea also that you know you're starting to get more recognitions for your music, and then you know you also meet someone who has the celebrity status. Was that also a part of it as well? No, it it wasn't part of my. And also, to be fair, like my experience wasn't really that I was getting more recognition. I I guess I did notice that I was playing a little bit to a little bit larger of crowds, but I um. I close my eyes when I sing, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm just sort of always, whether I'm playing to five people or a hundred, 200 people, whatever, that's not really part of my experience, truly. And I try and keep it that way. Cause so, yeah, I, I didn't, it didn't feel like I was getting huge or anything. Um, I'm just kind of doing my thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, that wasn't part of how Michelle and I came together at all. It wasn't about, uh, my success. Yeah. I'm speaking with musician Phil Elvram as part of KEXP's Music Heals Beyond Cancer. Um, so it's now been, I, be, I believe, three and a half years now um, since, you know, your wife, Genevieve Castre, passed away from pancreatic cancer. And so does that mean your daughter now is about, four, is it, she now four years old? She's five. She's five. Um, what is your daughter's understanding um, of her mother and just this idea of like, how do you you know, how do you explain to a child, you know, this idea of, you know, death and cancer? You know, what is, what is her, what are her thoughts about, you know, her mother and just her being able to process all this as a young child? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think she's got an evolving and complicated understanding of it because it's basically been her whole life that, um, I, you know, she probably doesn't have any actual organic memories of Genevieve being present because she was one and a half when when Genevieve died and so yeah Genevieve has existed as this person that all the people in her life have used to know and loved and pictures of her are around and anecdotes come up I've never like avoided talking about her and also at the same time I've I've been careful to not talk about her in this overbearing heavy-handed way Mm-hmm. And that was what Genevieve wanted in the, the rare times that she would um, let us talk about the reality that she might die. She did say, like, I don't want to be a ghost mom. I don't want to be um, remembered in this overbearing, heavy way. So, yeah, I've tried to just hold it lightly and keep Genevieve present as an idea and as her some of her things around the house, her artwork, and let my daughter come to it on her own terms as she's ready. So you're back in Washington now. You're living on Orcas Island. Um, what's next for you and your family and, and music for you? Just living as simply as possible. Just trying to um, be simple and sane. Lots of music projects and 
Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm the same person as I was when I was 16 years old, making zines and making up songs and recording them. I'm fortunate that I still get to spend my days doing that. I've been speaking with musician Phil Elvram, who performs under the name Mount Erie as part of Music Heals Beyond Cancer. Two of his albums were about the loss of his wife, musician, cartoonist, and illustrator Genevieve Castre, who passed away in 2016. Phil, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Death is real. Someone's there and then they're not. And it's not for singing about. It's not for making into art. When real death enters the house, all poetry is dumb. When I walk in to the This is Sound and Vision. I'm Emily Fox. This next Music Heals Beyond Cancer conversation is with KEXP's afternoon show DJ, Kevin Cole. This interview was recorded last year. Cancer is something Jay Matthews knows very well. I met Jay back in the 90s when I was the program director for Rev 105 in Minneapolis, uh, which was a very similar station to KEXP. It was a station that championed new and emerging artists and a station that was about building a vibrant community in part by innovation and creativity. Jay was responsible for creating much of the promotion, marketing, and branding production for Rev 105 and brought a relentless creativity and passion for music to his work, which inspired and uplifted us all. He's the kind of guy you wanted to spend as much time with as possible. Jay's a father, father of two boys, aged 13 and 15. Jay had bladder cancer a decade ago, and last year he was told he had another type of cancer, this one, terminal. He was also told he had 7 to 18 months to live. Jay generously joins me now to share his personal story with cancer and the music that's healed him during this time. 
Jay, what was your reaction when you first got the news of, of your latest cancer diagnosis? Uh, well, I mean, we were, we were pretty devastated. Um, so I was, I was diagnosed with stage four pleural mesothelioma, which is a cancer caused by asbestos exposure. And it's, it's the same thing that my dad died from. So, you know, we've, we've kind of already seen what happens in the path and that's pretty terrifying. And then to have to come home and, and tell our boys what we learned was, that was probably the hardest part. On a personal level then, how has the diagnosis impacted how you have approached your life? I have just really embraced uh, living. You know, when you're, when you're first diagnosed, at the beginning of the journey, everyone's encouraging you to, you know, kick cancer's ass and you're, you're battling cancer. And it's all about the fight. But to be honest, to get up every day to prepare for battle is, is exhausting. And um, I, I went to Gilda's Club, which is a community center for families and people that have cancer. They're all over the United States, but I went to one here in, in, the, in the Twin Cities and they talked about, instead of thinking of it as a fight, um, think of it as living with cancer. And that was a, that was a big mind shift for me that that really helped because then I just embraced, okay, I have cancer, but I'm not going to let that stop me from doing the things that that I want to do, that I'm still able to do. Listen to music, go to shows. So really, it helped me just get a more focus on on living. You've written about that uh, in a really beautiful and inspiring way, both on uh, the blog that we'll share and uh, and on your Facebook posts, um, are there stages that you go through to get to that point? You know, I'm a year in now, so I've been I've been dealing with this for a year, and there just comes a time where you, you just the fighting becomes exhausting, and you just accept that okay, I have cancer. It, my cancer is terminal. Um, you know, I'm I'm. It's, it's likely that I won't beat it. So instead of thinking about it as a battle or a fight, uh, I just need to kind of mind shift to, to say, no, now I'm, I'm living with cancer and I'm going to really focus on the living part. And that, that, that was, that probably happened probably about halfway through, maybe about six months into it. One thing that we've, uh, been, uh, conscious of or careful of is, um, you know, I, I hate uh, saying when someone passes away that they lost their fight to cancer. Right, right. That's the other thing. You know, it just it, it puts this negative light on it as opposed to uh, embracing life. And, and again, that's something that that uh, you've uh, shared really eloquently, I think, in in your posts that are uh, and it's a really inspiring message. How about uh, music? Is there, is there certain songs or music that you've gravitated to as it relates to the idea of fighting cancer versus living with it? Yeah. So initially, I, I had a fight song. It was The Pretender from Foo Fighters. Yeah. I mean, that is a, that's, that's a barn burner. Um, and I would put that on in the car, crank that up, and get my adrenaline going.
then over time, I started to to gravitate towards more just mellow, introspective type stuff, like Neil Young out on the weekend. Find a place to call my own and try to fix up. Start a brand new day. And Echo and the Bunny Men, The Killing Moon, which that one in particular, the line uh, Fate Up Against Your Will, when I heard that, I was like, that is exactly what I'm going through right now. Because the fate part is that, you know, I have terminal cancer, but you, you still have to, you, you have to have the will to keep going. And that's, that's the part that I've embraced it, to, to just try to keep focus on living and, uh, you know, do, do the best I can given the circumstances. Your cancer's caused a tumor in your lung, and, and you are a singer, a singer yes. in a band. Uh, how has this physically impacted your music? Well, so, so I, I, I play in a, in a cover band called Twin Star Rocket. Our, our shtick is that we do all medleys. So we have a Queen medley, a Guns N' Roses medley, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Pink Floyd. And then we do one that's all 80s MTV and a AOR medley that's Journey, Sticks, REO Speedwagon, Boston, that kind of stuff. And um, we, we've performed three times since uh, since I was diagnosed. We had to cut out the Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith. You need a minimum of two lungs to perform that stuff. <laughs> so we had to cut that <laughs> stuff out. But um, what, what's really interesting, we learned uh, – in one of my last visits with my oncologist, that your left lung typically is has less capacity than your right lung because your heart is right there over the left lung. And it's my right lung that has the tumors. So now my capacity in my right lung is diminished. But what has happened, and he showed us in the in the scans, is that my heart has started shifting to the right to give my left lung more capacity which is crazy because it's, you know, it's like my body is trying to take me out and save me at the same time. Would you say that music has been healing for you during this process? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my wife and I had tickets to the Decemberists in April, 2018. So we had those before I was diagnosed and, uh, went, went to the show and I just remember saying to her, we need to keep doing this, even when it gets hard. Because this going and seeing live music is so, it, it's, it's been such a part of our lives. And it's just, it's so important to me that I wanted to make sure that we were able to continue to do that, even when things got more difficult. And we've been really fortunate in that um, we have friends that are able to secure us tables at First Avenue. We had a group of people that bought us 
VIP tickets to shows so we could sit down and and we've we've continued going to live shows just over the last couple of months we've seen Elvis Costello, Richard Thompson, Neil Young. Uh, it's it's I I just love it when I am in there listening to the music. I don't feel any pain. That's incredible. As someone uh, who has had experience with this over the last year plus uh, from your recent diagnosis, um, what would you tell somebody, uh, what, we, what would you tell that person that's getting that first diagnosis? Ooh. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I would try to express to them to more quickly embrace the idea of living with cancer versus fighting and battling cancer and, and to, to really take stock in the things that are important to them, whether that's, you know, in my case, that's family music. Um, it was my job. Um, and just continue to do the things that, that bring you joy, um, as much as you can. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for sharing your story with, with KXP listeners and, uh, very generous of you. Also extremely inspiring. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been great. I appreciate it. That was KEXP's Kevin Cole speaking with his old friend, Jay Matthews. That conversation was recorded last March, and Jay Matthews ended up passing away a month later, on April 15th, 2019. This is Sound and Vision. Okay, let's move on and talk about a more hopeful story of cancer. KEXP Midday Show DJ Cheryl Waters has just returned to KEXP after her second battle with cancer. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013, and over the past few months, she got surgery and radiation for tongue cancer. She spoke with KEXP's John Richards about her journey as part of our recent Music Heals Day at the station. How you doing? How you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm two and a half weeks back at work. The first week, I could hardly keep my eyes open. Literally, they were like at half mast and I had to sit during part of my show, which you know is very difficult because we're moving around. We have a lot going on here, but I would have to sit down during some of the things. And then last week, I stood during my whole show, which was good. And this week, I actually feel like I have some good energy. So, you know, there's lots of side effects. I am done with treatment. People, people keep saying, you know, um, wishing you well during your treatment. But I finished my radiation treatment um, a month ago last Friday. And I just had a checkup with my doctor on Tuesday. I'm doing well. But lots of little side effects and fatigue being one of them, but getting better every day. And then I have some still pain and discomfort in my mouth and lots of issues around eating. My, mm. my taste buds, they say they will take up to a year to come back. Are they going to come back? Yeah, I hope so. You know, Amy was telling me that, that, that when cancer is diagnosed, kind of above the neck, like there's a healthy dose of depression mm-hmm. and extra struggle. Yeah. In that um, your your speech can be affected. Yeah, your, as mine is. Right. Your taste buds can mm-hmm. disappear. And this can have a real, uh, real effect on your just outlook as well. So you're, do you feel good, like mental health wise? Like, I do. do you feel like- and I feel very lucky because I know depression can... Um, 
really be rough for some people, and it's it's very common. And and I I have suffered um, for for decades from you know depression um, off and on throughout the year. That's something that I have struggled with, but I haven't struggled with it um, during either of my cancer bouts. And I have to tell you, the reason is mostly because of the overwhelming support that I receive. I have a super strong um, support system of family and friends and my family here at KEXP, but because I have gone public with this, the support of the KEXP family of, of listeners and it is really extraordinary, and that has really helped me a lot mentally. So, so interestingly enough, even though I have suffered, you know, from depression, I don't during this. Maybe because I have something to focus on, and I know. Um, people do come out of the woodwork when you go through something like this. Like people love you all the time, but you don't always feel that. And then when something like this happens, you hear from people and you're reminded how much they love you. And I feel that. I feel it so strongly. And not one day goes by that I'm not getting an email from a listener, (laughs) someone that I've never even met, we've never met, and they feel connected through KEXP and the community that we've built here. It helped me a lot. I I believe, you know, I I have a spiritual... Um, belief, and I don't know what goes on out there in in that world. I don't feel the need to understand it. I just believe that we are all connected to everything here on the earth, and I definitely believe that all of that energy coming my way. That was KEXP DJ Cheryl Waters, who is back on air after undergoing treatment for tongue cancer. So the biggest part of Music Heals on KEXP is reading listener emails about their stories and playing the songs that help get them through their struggles with cancer. And I ended up catching up with a few listeners that wrote in and had them share their stories in their own words. Hello, my name is Matthew Briggs. I'm 30 years old uh, and I have desmoplastic small round cell tumor which is a very rare and aggressive form of sarcoma. And I'm calling from the University of Washington Medical Center. I'm on day three of five of my last uh, stint of chemotherapy before I get my first scans after my diagnosis. Uh, I was diagnosed back in November, so coming up on three months of cancer at this point. Music has been more powerful than I had any idea that it would be um, when I was first diagnosed. I found out my diagnosis uh, with my spouse and my older brother, and my older brother has always been a huge influence on me in terms of music. And when I went into my first chemotherapy, he had made a playlist for me and Chase the Devil Out of Earth by Max Romeo and the Upsetters was the opening track of his playlist. Uh, And he named the playlist uh, Chase Satan Out of Earth. And my wife and I find ourselves like just sort of involuntarily singing the song whenever we feel like we need to put on an iron shirt and chase the devil out of earth whenever we need to like dig deep for that inner strength in us and find a way to overcome what Google and doctors say are insurmountable odds for survival. Uh 
I'm gonna put on an iron shirt and chase Satan out of earth. I'm gonna put on an iron shirt and chase the devil out of earth. I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. I'm gonna send him to outer space to find another race. Okay, so my name is Blair Marvin, and I live in Elmore, Vermont. And this story is about how my husband and I met, and it begins in Seattle. Um, My father died of lung cancer in 1993 when I was a teenager, and he would always sing Waylon Jennings' song, uh, Amanda, to me. After he passed away, that song disappeared from my life until the year 2000 when I was working at the Washington Athletic Club in Seattle. And I heard the song playing in another part of the hotel that I was working in. And I hadn't heard it since he had passed away. So, you know, there'd been this huge gap in time. And so I followed the song, the music, to this kitchen in the back of the building. And there was this young man back there just listening to it really loud, working by himself and singing along. And I was awestruck because this thing, the song that was so personal to me that I had never heard recorded, suddenly I was I was hearing played and it turned out that I t- ended up talking to this to this guy and that was in year 2000 and we've been married um, <laughs> for 15 years now and for me basically that moment of hearing that particular song connecting me to this piece of my past and reminding me of my father um, was this amazing meeting of my past and my future and our whole relationship started right there that night while listening to Waylon Jennings singing that song light of my life fate should have made you a gentleman's wife Amanda, the light of my life Fate should have made you a gentleman's wife My name is Arianne and I live in a small town called Jupiter, Florida. The song I chose was Cosmic Love by Florence and the Machine because It still elicits a lot of emotion for me, some good, some bad. And although you or your partner may feel in the dark when you get the prognosis, know that there's still beauty and happiness and life to be lived. Uh, It's kind of a funny story. When I was 12, I saw a young boy crying in PE class and I consoled him and he confided in me that his mother had cancer and wasn't going to make it. Uh, Fast forward to our very early 20s, and lo and behold, we start dating. And uh, unfortunately, when I went with him to a checkup, they found that the cancer he had, which was osteosarcoma, had returned and was more aggressive. And we were only together for six months, young love, you know, but before he passed, uh, we knew that the love was pure and beautiful and that experience will stay with me for all my life. And to us, it felt like a lifetime and maybe it was, um, (laughs) it's been nine years come June, but 
I think of him in little ways pretty much every day and his fortitude and his love will always be with me and all of his friends and family as well. And I could not be more grateful. I'm Katie from Seattle, where I grew up. I was estranged from my father for most of my life, and we reconnected in my mid-30s. And shortly after we reconnected, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. We've seen each other over the years, here and there, but last May, he flew me out to North Carolina for a special trip because he wanted to take me to go see Bob Seger. He always wanted to see Bob Seger, and he especially wanted me to go with him, which was very touching. Since I didn't grow up with my dad, two things I didn't know was, one, that it was his birthday on that day until the daughter he raised told me that. And then, two, I didn't know how many Bob Seger songs I knew the words too until I was at the concert with my dad. He's had a lot of guilt over the years about our estrangement, but I remind him that I've forgiven him and going to that concert wasn't necessarily a turning point in our relationship, but it was a moment that we shared maybe 30 years later that I'll always remember. And He texted me on World Cancer Day to let me know his cancer is still in remission, and I'm grateful that we've had these last 13 years together. Thank you, everyone, for sharing your story and being vulnerable and open. The best part about recording these listener stories is is talking with each and every one of you. Like after Matthew told his story, he talked about listening to Phil Elvram's music and crying with his wife at the hospital and feeling touched by listening to the entire day of Music Heals Beyond Cancer on KEXP. I mean, this is about community. It's about sharing your stories, being open. Thank you so much for doing that. And, you know, we kind of create community by by opening up and joining together and sharing stories around a common issue. And so, again, thank you so much for being a part of Music Heals. And thanks to you for listening. Before we go, I have to remind you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It actually increases the chance of others discovering this show. So it does mean a lot if you do subscribe, rate, and review. And if you felt moved by the show today, KEXP would love to see a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound. We are a publicly funded station. That means we are powered by the community. And community does mean a lot here. Listeners make what we do possible. So again, thank you. Okay, now to our final question of the show. Why does music matter? 
Here's Phil Elvram. It matters because it opens up uh, a, a crack into another version of seeing things. I remember looking around the hospital waiting room full of people all absorbed in their own personal catastrophes all reading books like being mortal all with the look in their eyes and I remember still feeling like no No, my devastation is unique But people get cancer and die People get hit by trucks and die People just living their lives get erased for no reason With the rest of us watching from the side some people have to survive and find a way to feel lucky to still be alive to sleep through the night I wrote down all the details of how my house fell apart how the person I loved got killed by a bad disease out of nowhere for no daughter and etc. I made these songs and then the next thing I knew I was standing in the dirt under the desert sky at night outside Phoenix at a music festival that had paid to fly me in to play these death songs to a bunch of young people on drugs standing in the dust next to an idling bus with Skrillex inside and sound of subwoofers in the distance I had stayed up till three talking to wise blood and father John Misty about songwriting in the backstage bungalows eating fruit and jumping on the bed like lost children exploding across the earth in a self-indulgent all-consuming wreck of ideas that blot out the stars be still alive felt so absurd People get cancer and die People get hit by trucks and die People just living their lives get erased for no reason With the rest of us averting our eyes Skrillex's tour bus waiting for the hotel shuttle in the middle of the night I barely knew who I was I looked up and saw Orion wielding a club and a shield And there you were again, majestic Dead wife As my Frozen in stories and in these songs I keep singing Numbing it down The unsingable real memories of you 
sobbing These waves hitless frequently They thin and then they are gone You are gone and then your echo is gone And then the crying is gone And what is left this merchandise This is what my life feels like now Like I got abruptly dropped off on the side of the road in the middle of a long, horrible ride in a hot van It was too full of confident, chattering dudes And the sound of tires receding Say